0: Almighty God, to illumine the imagination by the beauty of God, to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to warm the heart by the love of God, to devote the will to the purposes of God. We gather in the hymnic hope of Charles Wesley to unite the two so long disjoined learning and vital piety, particularly to that end this morning we welcome to our pulpit the Reverend Dr. Mary Elizabeth Moore, Dean of the Boston University School of Theology. Week by week, you will find her with her family regularly worshiping with us. Today, especially, we welcome her presence, spirit, warmth, and word. We invite you to respond prayerfully, or materially to send or email your responses to select a form of service. And if you are moved by something you hear across the radio today, then make a move yourself next Sunday and come and worship with us. The worship of God ordered and offered today are provided for our gathering at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, our radio congregation at NPR-WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God. we pray, O God, because without you we are not able seated. We gather for a time of individual and collective contrition and confession, trusting in the pardoning love of God, the power of God that brings order out of chaos, life out of dust, consciousness and self-consciousness out of life, just love and loving justice out of consciousness, and a global mind out of tribal difference promise and mystery of resurrection beyond death hours as well we bow empowered by that pardoning promise to offer together our confession as the choir sings our Kyrie may we bow in prayer But for the grace of God, we would not be. And but for the grace of God, we could not love. And but for the grace of God, we should not speak. But by God's grace, we live and love and speak. Beloved, if we confess our sin, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you.
1: A lesson from the Epistle of James, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships, though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species, but no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be amen. to God.
2: Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 19 with the Antiphon. Telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day goes forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom. From his head at wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And nothing is hid from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear and light in the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether.
3: More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb.
4: Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Saint Mark, chapter 8, verses 8 through 38. Glory to you, O Lord. They ate and were filled, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Now there were about four thousand people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, asking him for a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, he went across to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to bring any bread, And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. They said to one another, It is because we have no bread. And becoming aware of it, Jesus said to them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? And they said to him, Seven. Then he said to them, Do you not yet understand? They came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he looked intently, and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him away to his home, saying, Do not even go into the village. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Praise Praise to you, you, Lord Christ.
5: are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims God's handiwork. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. More to be desired they are than gold, sweeter also than honey. Psalm 19 then ends with a prayer which I invite you now to pray silently with me. Let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Do you hear the wonder of Psalm 19? Can you see and taste the wonder? This is the wonder that has led Jews, in some and sometimes in places, to introduce their children to learning by painting large Hebrew letters with honey so that they can taste the sweetness of the words, taste the sweetness of God and God's law. This is the same wonder that led a Jewish woman in Los Angeles to found a children's museum in which children come and use all of their senses to engage with Jewish tradition. They light Hanukkah candles. They taste the flavors of Passover. And they pray before a reproduction of the Western Wall. Now, lest you think that they are simply pretending let me suggest that this woman and her vision of the museum is inviting children and the adults who come with them to participate in this tradition. Indeed, the prayers that they pray and stuff into the reproduction of the Western Wall are sent to Jerusalem and placed into the actual Western Wall where they are removed twice a year and buried on the Mount of Olives. Do you hear the wonder of the psalm? The heavens tell the glory of God, and the firmament, let's call it today, the earth proclaims God's handiwork. Days pour forth speech, and nights declare knowledge. Images, rich, powerful, vivid images. They stir pictures of sunrises and sunsets, mountains and valleys, waterfalls and ocean waves, all too magnificent to grasp in their wonder. The images also evoke the wonders of ecological systems, which, however fragile they may be, are remarkable in the ways that plants and animals and sun and rain support one another in their complex, interactive lives. The psalm even evokes the wonders of the human body, which is also part of God's creation. However frail and fragile the human body is, it is a wonder of God's handiwork. Just yesterday, Dr. Roger Wu you excuse me, Dr. Yu, um, told my husband and me, as he checked my husband out of the hospital, the human body, with its exactness, is truly remarkable. Yet, as the psalmist says, all of this wonder is beyond human speech and words. We can speak of it, yes, but we can never fully grasp the wonder of it. We can never hold the mystery in our hand. It will always move beyond what we can understand. Remember Jesus' words in the text that Brother Larry just raised? To the disciples he says, do you still not understand? Wonder, mystery, is always beyond what we can grasp. The psalmist wants us to know that knowledge courses through all of creation, but its origins are in God. God not only communicates through creation, but also through the law, through which people come to knowledge and finally to wisdom. Psalm 19 calls the law by different names commandments, decrees, ordinances, precepts, all of which proclaim knowledge. These God-given words revive the soul. They make wise the simple. They are more precious than gold and sweeter than honey. Psalm 19, with its passion for knowledge and wisdom, is fitting to rehearse as a new academic year unfolds here in Boston with all of our colleges and universities, high schools, elementary schools, kindergartens, and other schools of learning. Psalm 19, with its passion for knowledge and wisdom, reminds all of us, whether we are in Boston or in some other part of the United States or the world, that knowledge courses through creation. It is here for our receiving, but not for our full understanding. This means that our schools and colleges are sacred sites where people meet wonder in the biology lab, the poetry class, the library stacks when they are searching the social history of a country that they didn't even know about a year ago. Universities and schools and families are sacred sites where people stretch their abilities to relate with others, to ice skate as they never have before, to mesh with others in a winning hockey team. However odd this comparison between academic pursuits and those pursuits that go with academia, whether in elementary school or a university. However odd the comparison between these academic pursuits and the knowledge proclaimed in God's universe, it's an apt comparison. In the Middle Ages in Europe, religious orders founded universities to educate clergy and public leaders and to spread knowledge as far as people could imagine. Between the early 17th and early 19th centuries in the United States, religious leaders founded colleges and universities for similar reasons. They often built the university libraries to resemble Gothic cathedrals. The Yale University Library even has a long aisle that culminates in what looks like a high altar. It's the circulation desk. Consider the awe inspired by the early library architecture of Yale University, Bowdoin College in Maine, or the Bodleian Library in Oxford, England. The architecture was no accident. It was a way to honor the sacredness of learning and the wonders of knowledge growing toward wisdom. Now, we can critique these practices, they're Eurocentric, to be sure. These practices of interlocking religion with academic study have also served, in the United States at least, to reinforce a hegemony of Christianity, to communicate that we're all Christian after all, and we know we're not. We are a country, as are most countries, of people of many faiths. On the other hand, the same people who were passionate in their religious lives and in their fervor to establish schools and other institutions of learning were often passionate in in their search for scientific truth, poetic beauty, anthropological understanding. And they were also passionate about the well-being of the world. Why did they want to educate clergy and public leaders? Because they wanted these people to lead the world toward more well-being. Further, the scholars who made these scientific observations or studied ancient literature Our astronomy often experienced moments of sacred awe. Whether they call themselves religious or spiritual, they often had moments that they could describe as nothing less than awe. Passion for learning and passion for the holy more often go together than not. And we find this, in fact, in most religious traditions of the world. The psalmist who scribed Psalm 19 understood this well. So where does this passion lead? I suggest that the passion for knowledge leads to probing. Remember the young hospital doctor who was in awe of the exactness of the human body? When I asked Dr. Yu if I could quote him today, he said yes, but then he said, oh, and I have a lot of questions for you. And he laid before me the theological puzzles that he thinks about most, which led to a very interesting theological conversation His awe before the exactness of the human body wasn't enough. It led him to questions about God and the world and Jesus and eternal life. We covered it all. We resolved nothing, but we covered it all. That is probing. When you and I allow passion for learning to do its real work, it leads to probing, even when that probing unsettles us and when it seemingly drives the passion away for a while. Probing is a natural human act that takes many forms. We probe questions like, why did this tragedy occur? Why did this person do what this person did? We probe frontiers of neuroscience and frontiers of the universe, searching the planets and other distant bodies. Boston University was founded by religious people who cared about clergy education and public leadership. The founders were also abolitionists, who wanted to further justice in the United States. Today, Boston University continues to be related to the United Methodist Church as its historic founder and as a contemporary colleague in probing. However, the University is not owned or directed by that church or any other. Indeed, it has many other colleagues as well granting agencies, other universities, and people in many religious communities and many parts of the world. Further, a large percentage of the faculty and students here are Muslim, Jewish, Christian, Buddhist, to name just a few, agnostic, to add another. But we are bound together in a university with a common passion for probing, probing, probing. We do not exist here to promote a faith, but to promote probing. This is why Mars Chapel encourages the probing of people across many faiths and why the university engages with and learns from people of many faiths. This perspective of a modern university system resonates with the psalmist's passion to know the world and to seek understanding. A modern university as an open institution does not ground its intellectual probing in a theological position on God or on knowledge. But the psalmist here was not addressing a modern university. We all know that. The psalmist addressed the people of Israel, a religious people. The psalmist wanted the people of God to know the world and to know the source of knowledge as God. Those of us who call ourselves Christian are religious, are spiritual live in multiple worlds. We live in the world of the psalmist who addresses us to know from whence this knowledge comes. And we live in the world of modern universities, elementary schools, high schools, that seek knowledge without declared theological positions. As the psalm echoes through history, it now invites modern and postmodern people to be similarly in awe of God's work. It invites people of faith and searchers who claim no faith at all to quest endlessly for knowledge and to know that the quest is a quest for God. We will name this quest differently, but we will all, if we probe deeply, face awe, and mystery. To probe God's universe is to revere God are the great mysteries behind the universe. And to revere God is to probe God's universe. Probing is itself an act of wonder, caring enough to dive as deeply as possible into the pool of knowledge. Thus far, I have addressed the wonders of knowing. I have said nothing about the never-ending quest. The dangers of foolishness are the new challenges that arise every time we learn something new. I was awakened to the challenges most recently by our four-year-old granddaughter when her parents told her that Poppy, my husband, was ill, she responded quickly, he must be allergic to snow. Her parents had previously explained that we live in Boston, and one of their explanations included a mention of snow. She got it. When Kylie learned that Alan was ill, she immediately tried to understand why. She drew upon the knowledge she had to create a diagnosis for the patient. The knowledge she had mixed with her love for her poppy required that she ask probing questions. Her Mimi smiled. But her parents, as you might expect, took this as an opportunity to give her a new geography and climatology lesson because they didn't want her to be content with one answer. They wanted her to keep probing for the rest of her life. Authentic probing leads to insight, but often not to final answers. This week, we remembered the eighth anniversary of the horrific events of September 11, 2001. Probing those events has been challenging because people, and we're part of people, have often been willing to accept simple explanations that place blame on one group or another, then generalize the blame to everyone associated with that group. We have been content with probing light and not probing heavy. Heavy probing does not end when a scapegoat is found. Heavy probing seeks explanations in every possible corner of knowledge. Why should we be so thorough in our probing? Here the text from Proverbs is particularly insightful. It urges people to heed the teachings of their fathers and mothers, and to resist the enticement of sinners who will lead them into war and greed. I didn't pull this out of the newspaper. I pulled it out of the book of Proverbs. These sinners, says the book of Proverbs, say, Come with us. Let us lie in wait for blood. Let us wantonly ambush the innocent. Then they say, these sinners say, we shall find all kinds of costly things. We shall fill our houses with booty. After giving these warnings against war and greed, Proverbs continues with a plea. My child, do not walk in their way. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such is the end of all who are greedy for gain. It takes away the life. Wisdom cries out in the street, says Proverbs. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? This is not a caution against simplicity. This is a caution against being simplistic accepting simplistic answers to huge questions. We easily fall into war and greed if we allow ourselves to settle for simplistic answers. To this point, the text for today highlight the beauty of knowing and the ways that continual seeking can protect us at least a little bit, against foolishness, especially the foolishness of throwing our lives into warmongering and greed. We have one more text knit into the lections today, however, and this one reminds us seekers that knowing requires something of us. As we come to know something, we become responsible for that which we know. Oh my goodness. Here is where Mark's gospel speaks a challenge. About halfway through the gospel, Mark tells the story of Jesus traveling with his disciples. And you remember as Brother Larry read the gospel lesson, this follows upon dramatic feeding miracles and a healing miracle. You would think that everybody would have grasped it by then. But this critical turning point in the gospel of Mark is where Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say I am? The disciples respond with learned answers because they've had their ear to the ground. They know what people have been saying, so they tell Jesus what they've been hearing about who people say he is. And then then Jesus turns to them and says, But who do you say that I am? You remember Peter? He steps forward boldly, as he often did, and says, you are the Messiah. He got it. He got it. But Jesus' response is, Get behind me, Satan. Mm. Jesus rebukes him for knowing only part of the truth. Peter has rebuked Jesus for, for talking about what this. Means for him to be the Messiah, that it will lead to suffering and death. And Jesus rebukes Peter for not getting it, for knowing but not knowing the whole story. Then as you remember, As it's just been read, Jesus calls the disciples and the whole crowd back together, and he says these words, If you want to become my followers, deny yourselves and take up your cross and follow me. For those who want to save their lives will lose it, and those who lose their lives for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. A lot of ink has been spilled about what those words mean, and that ink will not be uncovered in this sermon today. But there's one thing clear about these words. Knowing that Jesus is Messiah, coming face to face with the Holy, demands something of us. Knowing comes with a cost, and the cost is our lives. Our lives lived according to what we've come to know. The picture here is that people are asked to know, whether we're looking at the Psalms or Proverbs or James as it was read earlier, or Mark. People are called to know And people are called to speak what they know, but they are also called to act upon what they know. The disciples and crowd were asked to give their lives for the sake of the gospel. Hmm. Here we are in 2009, watching summer close and fall open. Here we are listening to the beauty of Psalm 19, invited into the joy of learning from the heavens and the earth the laws and the precepts of God. Here we are listening to the warnings of Proverbs to seek wisdom and not be mindful of foolishness and being led astray toward unnecessary warmongering and greed. And here we are, listening to the challenge of Jesus, as told in the Gospel of Mark, to give our lives for Jesus' sake and for the sake of the Gospel. Who would have thought that knowledge could be so rich, so important, so challenging? But it is. May you be blessed with a never-ending thirst to know, a never-closed satisfaction with what you do know, and a never-lost sense of wonder before the knowledge that is woven into God's creation and God's law.
6: As we are called to prayer through the singing of Lead Me, Lord, you are invited to pray in the ways that most will support the prayers of this community. Please stand or kneel at the altar rail, raise your hands in your place, respond in your first language, however the Spirit so moves you. In our prayer, I will set the intention. You are invited to speak aloud or silently what is called to your mind or heart, then I will say, In your grace. If you would please respond, hear our prayer. Dearly beloved, let us pray. one you who are three one god in perfect community we who are created in your image are glad and grateful for your presence with us as source and christ and spirit for your encouragement by your gifts and fruits in our lives for your empowerment to grow in love and to choose the good In your grace of invitation and inclusion, we pray for ourselves as individuals and for the communities of which we are a part, for our particular ministries in the world, for our ministry in and through Marsh Chapel and the Office of Religious Life, for the work of all your church. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the nations and peoples of the world, for the leaders amongst them, and for the ways of peace amongst us all. In your grace, hear our prayer. For creation, for our earth and air and water, for our companions, animals and plants. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those individuals and communities who face particular challenges of mind, body, spirit. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the celebrations and joys of our human life, In your grace, hear our prayer. In all these things we pray in trust, as you pray with us in your compassion too deep for words. Amen. And now, continuing in our prayer together, as our Lord Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
4: Lord be always with you. We give this thanks this morning to Dean Moore from the School of Theology, and in recognition of her new and renewing leadership here at Boston University, all of our readers of the service this morning are theological students next door at the School of Theology. Thank you, Dean Moore, and welcome. We hope that uh, those of you gathered here in the nave this morning will fill out the red pads at the end of your pews to help us get to know you better and help you get to know one another better, if you could pass it along the way and and, uh, we'll collect it at the end of the service. Also, uh, we want to make sure that you keep uh, keep abreast with events here at the chapel throughout the week. You can find out a lot more in your bulletin or on the website, bu.edu slash chapel, where there's also the opportunity for online giving. And I want to make special note of coffee hour after the service today uh, downstairs in the Marsh Room. And also tonight is our first Servant Team meeting. The Servant Team is our Student Leadership Council here at Marsh Chapel. You can speak with me or email servants at bu.edu for more information. Uh, In addition, I would note our 9 a.m. Eucharist, Community Eucharist, every Sunday morning. We hope some of you can come out and join us then. And then for educational opportunities at 9.45. And now an announcement for our Choir Director, Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett. Good morning, just a quick welcome and invitation to all of you or any of you who may
6: be interested in joining the Chapel Choir. We're still uh, accepting members for the season, for the new year. And uh, as you exit in the narthex this morning, there'll be two members of the Chapel Choir with a handy informational leaflet. And uh, if you're interested, we'd be happy
4: to receive you and welcome you this Thursday night at six o'clock. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
3: This
1: and bless these gifts. With your spirit, may we serve others so that all will know the sweet abundance of your grace. We pray this in the name of your Son, who is the true bread of life. Amen.
5: Majesty of God's creation. And may the words of your mouths and the meditations of your hearts be acceptable to God, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen.